I think spiritually something in me also snapped when uh, as churches we were commanded by um, the, uh, the hierarchy to leave our, to evacuate. This mm. is rather ridiculous message that went around that we had to evacuate immediately our church buildings uh, and only return to them for health and safety reasons. Coming up on British Thought Leaders I sit down with Reverend Daniel French, an Anglican priest, author and commentator. Daniel co-hosts the popular podcast Irreverend that began during the COVID-19 pandemic lockdowns. This was something disturbing. This was a break in the way of, of normal operations. We, we hadn't had a lockdown in the Second World War and yet here we were. He says one of the biggest issues of our time is the replacement of humanity with artificial intelligence. This is coming very fast. This is coming at the speed of months but I can tell you that the AI apocalypse could be 2026. Why are we not why are you know, senior churchmen not shouting from the rooftops about this? So what do I think about you know, all the sort of climate stuff coming from the church? I think there are other apocalypses to worry about. I'm Lee Hall and this is British Thought Leaders. Daniel French, welcome to British Thought Leaders. Thank you very much, Lee, for having me. So you are vicar of the seaside town of Salcombe and also host of the popular Reverend podcast. Can you tell us a bit about how the podcast started up and what it's all about? Uh, well, a very strange series of, of coincidences. I'd, I'd started writing for The, the Spectator uh, and um, the first article that I'd written, which had picked up... Uh, on the struggles of the church during the lockdown, I think, and, and our, my own personal disappointment with the closure of churches. Uh, I mentioned Rod Dreher, um, the, the American commentator, mm. uh, author of the Benedict Option, Jordan Peterson, C.S. Lewis. It was a bit of a Jerry Maguire mission statement. I threw everything in. Uh, and um, Rod Dreher rang me up from America, which was really cool. Uh, I mean, I was about to do a PhD on this guy's thesis, so I was sort of blown away by this. Uh, and um, said, how can I serve you? And the most obvious thing was really connection, isn't it? That's always the way, isn't it? It's networking. Mm -hmm. So um, I got to know a number of people very quickly, which included uh, firstly Jamie Franklin, uh, and then uh, Tom Pelham, his friend. And they began um, over a period of time to... Um, consider putting a podcast together because we'd had these wonderful long chats on, on Zoom just trying to get our heads around what was happening. Why was the church which is response so subpar? Um, so we were sort of therapy to each other mm -hmm. and those conversations then seemed to naturally lend themselves into this sort of podcast format. Uh, and uh, I came a bit later to that a few months in um, and then by, I suppose, what was it, 2021, it started going a bit viral. And I think it, on, on Easter Day, actually, we, we uh, trumped the Archbishop of York in his Lent, in his Lent series. Uh, sorry, Archbishop. But uh, anyway, that was, that was kind of a moment where we thought, oh, 
this is for real. Yeah, yeah. People are listening into this. Uh, and um, we just kept the format very simple and thought. Bit of scripture, analysis of current affairs, um, then some sort of theological deep digging mm. uh, and what have you, and end of the prayer. And people seem to really war warm to it. I mean, we've had um, Alison Pearson from The Telegraph saying, next Planet Normal, where her um, favourite podcast, yeah, which is pra praise indeed. And, uh, yeah. uh, and um, yeah, I I think we, we clearly touched upon um, concerns and, and also um, a migration of people, I think, which accelerated during lockdown, but I think had already been happening uh, away from, uh, say, new atheism and, it, and its mm. promises towards to a return to, I think, I, I would call it um, a classical Christianity, you know, with, um, with a high aesthetic, with a, a, a yearning for the supernatural and the sacramental, um, whether Catholic or evangelical, that there were, there were people who were, in a sense, knocking at the door of churches and finding that when they sadly, I mean, this, is, this actually gets me really riled up, actually, where, where, that when folks during the lockdowns started having these, I suppose, religious experiences that they went to their local vicar um, and, uh, you know, he or she rolled their eyes. Mm. I, I've had hundreds of, of those stories. Right. You know, um, oh, we don't do that sort of thing anymore. You know, we're, we're more into um, activism. Right, right. Uh, r rather than, well, it's that line from Les Miserables, isn't it? Who, who cares for your tortured soul? We have a higher goal. Uh, and um, where do you go when, mm. when your local vicar has just landed that on you? Mm. Um, and, and it seemed that the podcast spoke to a constituency of new stay-at-home Christians yeah. uh, who still, many of us, you know, it's, there is still, I think, this unresolved issue uh, because we want them to find a home. We want them to find a spiritual uh, place where they can flourish um, but uh, the vast majority are struggling I, I actually think in terms of numbers if we've had in the last year or two I, I think the three of us have probably had round about let's say several thousand stories like this e really? either or people emailing people yeah. emailing yeah. post I mean my wife will say oh here's another fan mail for you you know um Telegram, Twitter groups, YouTube comments. Um, and I've had people pick up the phone and say, I, I need to speak to someone. Uh, I need to speak to you because this is where I've, I've suddenly found faith in the law. Mm -hmm. you know, if, if we're seeing that in, a, in, a, in an order of a couple thousand and we're just, you know, three random clergy, what is the actual number? Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. I, I think it's probably in the hundreds of thousands uh, who have um, come to this new place within themselves. Uh, and what's very frustrating is that the mainstream churches are not responding. In fact, much of their response is, is, is making these people allergic to the, the concept of church going, right. which we, we want to, you know, we, we don't want to create a, a, a digital church believe that in the end that church is about human beings meeting like you and I in the in a room mm. talking praying um, 
sharing the cup, breaking the sacred loaf, so on. Um, so we want to encourage that, but it's it's um, it's very frustrating mm. when the, the the powers that be and the theologians and what have you uh, seem ambivalent to that. In fact, it, it would if I were to to be um, particularly critical. I would say that their, their search lamp is on a very narrow constituency who will never come to church mm. on the whole, you know, um, uh, politically left-leaning activist types who already consider um, Christianity, even if it was updated to their standards, beyond the pale. Mm. Um, uh, and we're spending millions as denominations trying to reach a constituency who are not interested when the cavalry is coming over the hill. The feedback you've had from the public has been good. What about the feedback from other members of the clergy? Um, well, I'm in a, in a, I suppose in a unique situation in that the parish I'm at is the most southerly, one of the most southerly in Britain. So I, I don't have the greatest um mix with clergy in that respect i i think there's a mixed response mm. um i think for some people it's been what we've been doing podcasting uh it's, they'll see it's beyond the pale because you know uh where we're picking up um issues and a direction which is not theirs mm. um yeah so we we've We've had we've had criticism that's at times been hilariously barbed. I think there was one cathedral canon uh, who uh, called us a postmodern freak show. <laughs> uh, I'll take that. Yeah, that's fine. But uh, uh, and you know I, I've had a few negative comments, but on, on the whole, uh, cl clergy are sympathetic. You know uh, our. Um, uh, are on board with what we're doing. I mean, right. sadly, a, a number feel that they can't say that too publicly, which I, I find absolutely bizarre. Because mm. uh, I don't think we're doing anything particularly too off the wall. Around the time you, you joined the podcast was mm. uh, probably the second national lockdown mm. uh, during the pandemic. Um, what effect did the pandemic have on you and did it influence you agreeing to join mm. the podcast? Yeah. Um, instinctively i couldn't get my head around it um there was that i'd actually been listening a few weeks before that to lord sumption's lectures mm. uh and i think something he'd said about the constitution stuck on me you know once something is lost uh, or something is broken in the constitution it, it really is incredibly hard to repair and i think that that sense of civil liberty, which is sort of intrinsic to who we are, uh, well, well, I, I think that that snapped at that point. It's going to be very hard to justify um, not having some kind of different versions of this, whether it's ecological lockdowns or restrictions uh, uh, in in the in the future. I think spiritually, something in me also snapped when uh, as churches we were commanded by um, the uh, the hierarchy 
to leave our to evacuate this mm. is rather ridiculous message that went around that we had to evacuate immediately our church buildings uh, and only return to them for health and safety reasons you know in terms of like checking the the loos and the fire alarms mm. but otherwise it was far too dangerous to be there um and I, I can remember the, the day that, you know, that the um, church warden gave me this and I sat outside the church and wept. Uh, I thought we have made an enormous blunder. Uh, how can we now argue that these spaces are liminal, sacramental, sacred spaces, spaces mm. of healing, um, that these, that what we do here is extraordinary? Um, if we're just putting ourselves up, there's no different from the local gym. Mm. Uh, that we're just another lifestyle choice. Uh, and that you know, this, this rather half-hearted, banal idea that, well, we can carry on the show, so to speak, by just phoning people up and having Zoom services. Now, there's part of me that kind of rather enjoyed that because I come from a tech background. Great, you know, um, I can... Get, get all the gear together and do some live streams. I didn't mind that. I did one every day and it, it got great traction. And yet, it didn't feel right to be mm. doing this. Uh, it didn't feel right to have instructions which pushed us in the direction of, say, it was unsafe to go and you know give someone the last rites. Yeah. Uh, mm. You know, it, it was... And I think Tom and Jamie and myself kind of connected really profoundly on, on that, that this, that this was something disturbing. This was a break in the way of, of normal operations. I mean, we, we hadn't had a lockdown in the Second World War, mm. and yet here we were. There's um, also talk of the vaccine passports to get into churches as well. Now, I think there was one or two cathedrals who tried that in the second lockdown um, for carol services. Um uh, and I'd heard churches who were mooting with the idea of the... Do you remember there were different zones, weren't yeah. they, for um, tiers? And that we should have signs outside our churches saying what tier we think it would be acceptable for someone to come to. Uh, and that, that was mooted at one point to me. And I said, I'll resign on the spot if you do it. Do you think the church leadership failed a, a moral, if not spiritual, test with, with this issue? Yeah. And I think had... Though it would have been, I appreciate it would have been a, a, a mountain of difficulties to have been an alternate voice. Imagine if that if we had gone down that, and we had been the church that was nationally, along with other mainstream churches, sceptical about mm. the closing of, uh, of society, and particularly the closing of churches. Uh, and that the you know the whole thing of vaccine passports and beginning to to delineate people into jabbed and unjabbed. If if we'd have had uh, ecclesiastical leadership that has stood and said no, uh, I think you know many of us would have um, died on the hills for that mm. for that leadership. Uh, and there is, I think. As I've put in that first piece that I mentioned to you in The Spectator, I think there is a sense in which, say, for instance, Jordan Peterson, in his direct approach, you know, speaking to, to people 
as if it were heart to heart, you know, and being concerned for the soul. Mm. Uh, that's where our tanks should be parked. And subsequently, I think, after the second and the third lockdown, when it became apparent that, uh, that there was this I incredible um, contagion of mental health issues, uh, and that many, many people, particularly the young, were in a, in a horrible, horrible state, that to have had uh, a, a leadership that took that under their wing and said, let's help you get your house in order. Mm. Uh, see, they, 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 those on the political and theological left will say that's moralising. But if you're a pastor on the ground, and you, you're doing your job, you know that that's what people want from you. That's what will be the most effective turnaround. Um, but, but instead, what we, can, what we can end up having is, is clergy who say, well, I'm too busy to deal with this. I've got some higher goal, uh, which often is armchair philosophising, let's be <laughs> rather than actually dealing with that. You know, that pain was very close to to the things of the spirit. So, you know, what was frustrating is after each of these lockdowns, we had this opportunity to actually reset this. Yeah. But I think what often we got were banal missives about, oh, there's a bit of a mental health issue. And isn't it a shame that the, you know, the government doesn't provide more funding? Right? Well, you've got a vicar in every parish uh, who is, he, he is about putting right the, you know, the demons of the, of the, the soul and mind. We've got what we need. Mm. Why aren't we mobilising the, these people to, to do this? Very frustrating. Yeah. We've seen over the last decade particularly quite large changes, uh, progressive mm. values on the rise, people that don't toe the line with them getting attacked and cancelled. Quite a lot of these values are in opposition to what is taught in the Bible. I wondered mm. what challenges this has brought you as, as a faith leader. Yeah, I think one of the things that's really quite creepy about this is it's always it's not so much the issues per hand, you know, which are often about, say, personal lifestyle or identity. It's about the unforgiving nature of it. Mm. Uh, I, though I was brought up by a faith church going family uh, I think I came to faith round about 17 randomly opening the Bible one day thinking uh, I ought to really give this a go properly and I, I fell upon I think it's from the, the fifth or sixth chapter of St Luke uh, love thy enemies mm. and I thought well here is a politique here, here's a a way of living and engaging with the world which uh, is, is about as demanding as you could get uh, to take one for your adversary, mm. uh, to, um, to take that from Christ, not as a suggestion, but as a commandment and the means by which you will be judged. Uh, and I, I subsequently found that reading around the kind of progressivist na narrative, that that bit had been airbrushed out. You know, that, that you had a, an attempt to uh, have Christianity not only without God and all the nice stuff about us being, you know, 
inclusive uh, and, uh, and caring. Uh, but it was going to be done in a way that if you disagreed with X, Y and Z, you would be, to use that word, you know, cancelled, mm. uh, put in the sort of public stocks. Uh, and um, that struck me as, as profoundly uh, anti-Christian. Uh, to, that to have a ideological movement which at its heart was um, unforgiving uh, and th of which there, there would be no way that anybody could come back uh, is to me the antithesis uh, of, the, of the Christian way. You know, mm. dividing the world into them and us, uh, which of course those binaries are very easy, aren't they, to... to to take on, they're comfortable. It, it, it's it's what I would call um, a marvelization uh, of the world. You know, the goodies and the baddies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's superheroes and the villains. I love the. I, I grew up with the with those comics, but you can see that on an industrial scale, this has become a kind of cultural heresy that we are now teaching the generations to come to look at the world through that that prism mm. uh, and that the majority of the world's problems are out there rather than in here you know uh forgetting what solzhenitsyn said about all all the conflicts of the world going through every human heart you know and he learned that what through 10 years in the gulag and thanked the prison for coming to that truth mm. uh, having gone through hell to find it finds himself in that respect a free man yeah um and um i think what we have instead is a, an ideology which could easily slip into becoming a religion of the self like the mirror in the snow white fairy tale uh, which shows us what we want to see mm. uh, and, and then obviously at times you know flips that round and shows us what we don't want to see uh and um is a circle of despair, whereas I think the, the the Christian story begins with if you want to change the world, you you can't because Christ it's Christ who is the is the, the main agent. He's the hero, but you also have to change yourself. Yeah. You, know, you have to learn that spiritual poverty, and we've got now uh, I think the beginnings of a, a very acidic culture which is not going to promulgate that uh, at all it's all about my truth and my lived experience which is you know uh, complete nonsense we recently saw um, a, a member of synod who was reported to the police by the bishop for hate crimes because he he spoke out about pride events and also the sexualization of children are you seeing this kind of um split between the the governing body of the church and vicars that don't want to tow the line yeah i think that the, the narrative as well is 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 there are things you can get away with saying in, in one end of the theological spectrum that you can't in the other right um and um there seems to be much more forgiveness you know it would be okay for like the the uh curate a couple of years ago who can dis um Captain Tom. Oh yeah. Uh, but you know, if you were to, to to make a comment on the other end, like you've just mentioned, 
uh, all hell breaks loose. And I think the, the ecclesiastical authorities are still struggling with how to they struggle with things like Twitter, for instance, and, and, and how to have um, good disagreement. And, and they easily forget that, that Twitter is about quite robust discussion. Mm. Um, I mean, General Synod used to be about real argy-bargies. Uh, uh, and there's a way to do that, I think, which, is, which can be um, constructive without it getting toxic. But... Uh, I don't think the church does itself any favours if it only if it only tolerates argy bargy on one side. You know that the, the Church of England's reputation, and here I'm speaking for my own denomination, used to be that it was a, a household of the most wonderful eccentrics. You know, you had balmy bishops, uh, crazy canons, and some of these people were often. Uh, the holiest men and women of God, you know, that, that they and their their writings uh, will be with us, I think, for centuries and their impact. You know, that the the danger now is that we end up with a very managed in intake. Right. Uh, you know, where I was thinking of this morning about Chad Vara, you know, founded the the Samaritans. Yeah. You know, a um, a giant uh, of a man. I, I don't think he would get through the selection process to be a vicar, you know. But so we've we've lost something. Okay, homogenisation. Yeah, it's homogenisation, and it's it's through it's it's in it, it's throughout uh, the the C of E. Um, there is a um, a move to much much more corporate managerial style, uh, and so those kind of um, Prophetic voices are, are on either the sort of the liberal or, or the conservative side uh, are largely gone now, mm. you know? and um, I, I think that's there's a real loss in that actually, uh, and um, it's become a little less fun. There's some kind of um, sense of getting involved with the latest issue. Right? Mm. We saw the Archbishop of Canterbury talking about. Um, climate mm. uh, justice and where we're in right near the kind of point of no return and his predecessor organized uh, a multi-faith ceremony to repent for climate sins um, and we can see the same in society mm. everyone's getting on board with the latest issue of the, the green agenda um, so I think it's, the church is kind of following along in the same way it's an interesting one isn't it I'm, I'm thinking of the line from that great film Wallace and Gromit <laughs> You got the wrong trousers. <laughs> you know, it's the wrong apocalypse. Um, I, I, I'm increasingly becoming ambivalent. I mean, I have to say, um, uh, Extinction Rebellion and Just Stop Oil are, are pushing me more and more into the other direction. And you have to uh, understand that I'm 15 miles away from Totnes, which is the sort of uh, intellectual centre of the new age. Uh, and uh, is... Um, is in the midst of all of this as well. And there is a certain type, really. Um, I'm, I've got nothing against conservationism, long-term decarbonisation of um, the economy. There seem to be you know, very sensible things to, to do. They'd be clearly 
would have a, a limit on how much, say, petroleum and gas there is mm. for, our, for our civilization. I mean, we could uh, make a covenant with ourselves to, uh, at, at one point, say, well, we're going to store this in case of an emergency, because you can reboot a society on petrol um, in, in 50 years. Um, it's very difficult if all you've got solar panels, you know, to um, go back to that if you've had a, a massive global disaster. So, that, yeah, I, I can see some sense in that. Uh, I think like Elon Musk has said, he's not convinced of the alarmist argument. You know, and here's the man who's provided the world with electric cars. I'd say I was pretty much on his page on this. Um, and... Um, and yet I think we we miss the other apocalypses that are just around the corner. Uh, in fact, as, as churches, we seem to be intensely silent, which is, again, extraordinary. I mean, consider, I, I, I think it's the, some bo a bo there's a world body of actuaries who've calculated that uh, in the next couple of years, there's a 20% chance that a nuclear weapon could be released in Europe. Yeah. 20%. We should not be... Now, where are the churchmen speaking up against that? Mm. Uh, there is a 5% a chance of a nuclear war. That's extraordinary. We, we, we should know, you know, where are all these priests who are in CND? Where are they? Why, why aren't they speaking out at this point? Mm. I, I, I don't get... I don't understand that at all. And then, of course, there's the... Uh, the next one, which is gaining traction in the advent of ChatGPT, um, the, the AI yeah. potential. Now, here it strikes me that there 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 is a there is a a, uh, a conversation of which the church has enormous fluency about, because I think the AI uh, is in itself a Tower of Babel. Uh, you know, it fits to many of the biblical tropes. Uh, we have something, I think, quite profound to say uh, in that our religion is about God becomes one of us. The word became flesh. If we are, are theologic, if we are in a society where we are rejecting, in a sense, our, our humanity for something else, uh, surely that's that's one of the most natural places for us to speak in, into uh, and to get uh, you know, expertise to be able to be um, fluent and if and if necessary fiery about this and yet it's radio silence now, I'm sure there's one or two committees somewhere in each of our denominations who've had some um, you know some tea and sandwiches over this but we should be you know declaring an emergency from the pulpits because i think this is in many ways undergirds a uh, a, a spiritual conflict uh i worked a little bit in the industry and i've got a computer science degree 30 years ago i studied um neural networks um, vision recognition systems, robotics, uh, and even then, you know, it was was taking in sharp 
breaths at what this potentially could do. It is not so much the creation of some sort of global Skynet, though that could happen, but it it is more, and I think, again, Musk is sort of pointing this out, it's the creation of a sort of AI termite that can just flood the world with um, misinformation, misdiagnosis, could potentially take control of various things, Uh, social media, um, deep fake reality to us. You know, if, yeah. if um, the average teenager is spending eight hours in front of a phone, may soon be wearing, you know, Apple visors. How do we check that AI isn't uh, completely morphing reality for for us, mm. giving us that Snow White mirror that we so eagerly want to see, which is in many ways, you know, is. Uh, Goes goes back not even to the Tower of Babel. Goes back further, doesn't it, to the Forbidden Fruit? You know, it's it's that which we are not ready for. Uh, I I think this you know this is coming very fast. Mm. This is coming at the speed of months. Whereas the uh, you know you look at the net zero goals as sort of say to twenty fifty, um, that uh, with a you know if you take it on board. Uh, a sort of a climate emergency, you're looking towards the end of the 21st century. People mm-hmm. are saying where well, it could be catastrophic. I don't know, but I can tell you that the AI apocalypse could be 2026. Mm. Why are we not? Why, why are, you know, senior churchmen not shouting from the rooftops about this? Um, this is exactly something that we can speak into with knowledge uh, and I think, uh, you know, a courageous conviction is needed at this point. So what do I think about, you know, the, all the sort of climate stuff coming from the church? I, I think there are other apocalypses to worry about. Mm. Uh, and we could have a disproportionate um, over-concern on this. And in doing so, also encourage a kind of rush to a solution which puts people in poverty. Mm. Yeah, and let, let's be honest, isn't that we've seen from the lockdown that our society can easily be now divided into those who can work from home comfortably and those who cannot. Yeah. Uh, had, um, I think there's a, there's a whole section of society that um, would have thrown a complete tantrum had Amazon not been delivering to yeah, them. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, it's okay for those people to take the brunt of the pandemic uh, as as long as I'm safely in, in my home, you know, uh, having my granola, my Amazon packages and my Zoom calls. Uh, you know, like, like with the Brexit vote, I think this, this highlighted the... Uh, a, a division within society that is quite profound. And again, one that the churches are not speaking into. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've heard senior clergy sit and curl their lips at the Daily Mail, for instance, or, or the tabloid newspaper. Okay, fair enough. But what, what is that as a solution? How does that reach out to um, ordinary, ordinary people mm. who are, are looking at their the gas and electricity bills and thinking 
what am I going to have to stop eating? Yeah. You know, um, I, I, I think that there's, there's a great danger in that, that we, we don't speak to that. Because, they, again, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's Christianity, I think, it is a profound rejection of a utilitarian, machine-like view of reality, where there are expendables, or to use Hillary Clinton's term, deplorables. You know, people that we can put under the carpet uh, and forget and forget about uh, conveniently. And um, uh, it, it strikes me as one of the top priorities of the gospel uh, is to turn that upside is to turn that upside down. Uh, you know, our religion in the first century was largely populated by the uh, uh, the lower castes. Of, um, of Roman society uh, and um, it, it strikes me as though we can easily have a mainstream denomination which, which you know, says that it has this bias for the poor but the reality can't can't stomach much interaction with them. So looking at um, Christianity in Britain more on a, on a whole from 2010 to 2019 we saw the loss of over 400 churches and then we got the the census in 2022 which showed church going at an all-time low um, and christians becoming a minority for the first time as far as i know uh, so uh, i wanted to uh, i wanted to ask you about something that i know that i know is an interest of yours could christianity become a kind of underground belief possibly like monk-like communities people sealing themselves off from from the secular society in one sense, it's already happening. Right. That there are, uh, I think, networks of, of clergy and churches. There are networks, I think, of professional Christians who uh, are negotiating very difficult um, work situations that if they put their head above the parapet, say, particularly in academia, uh, they're going to get shot down and cancelled. So uh, I think there are already... Uh, networks beginning in the very early days but do I think that this might be the the way that the churches end up say in 20-30 years sadly yes I think that we we have a um, a culture which is morphing into a, a strange melange of uh, a brave new world uh, Lewis's hideous strength uh, with elements of, of Orwellianism in it, uh, a kind of digital surveillance society. Mm. Uh, and I think we're just beginning to see what the precipice looks looks like. Uh, and that um, it will, such a society in itself becomes a new orthodoxy, a religion, and um, becomes the state religion. Uh, and, and in that respect, it's not going to tolerate anything else so yes i think that the exciting energized forms of christianity will be um well i use the word subterranean i don't mean in catacombs literally but i think they will be uh, across um small groups uh vibrant churches that are, are, are keep their nerves and have uh you know thick thick walls to the outside world, uh, churches that 
that make uh, real and profound demands on people and invest heavily in spiritual formation. I think a lot of that will be a lot more discreet. Uh, yeah, if you think that in the third century, if you were going to um, become a catechumen in the church in the Roman Empire, uh, you'd have had to have been vetted for um, maybe a year or so before mm -hmm. they even let you see a presbyter preaching let alone the Holy Eucharist. Uh, I don't necessarily think we'll go full whack back to those days, but I think there's going, it's going to be much more about um, us being as wise as the serpent and innocent as the dove in terms of our public profile. Uh, that may actually make us, paradoxically, uh, a magnetic, attractive community. Mm -hmm. Uh, that you know, if the the door in is very narrow, uh, and um, people can see that there is something life changing in those networks, uh, and so from the outside decide to to journey in, uh, and when they they do so, are actually asked of something is asked of them, uh, you know, that they ask to, let's say understand the cost of being a believer in the 21st century. Uh, understand that the art that they're going to have to take on is the ability to suffer well for their faith, which you know, in some way like Britain might be losing all respectability, uh, never getting the professional job that you probably deserve because of your opinions. I mean, that's already happening. You know, so I think, yes, there will be a, a natural um, coagulating of people who are in that situation and these are going to be the um, the energized and exciting communities they're going to be the ones that are going to be writing theology um, not in in academia in in professional religious studies departments it's going to be written in these uh, uh, base communities in the sense of um, uh, of of, of Christianity. Now, um, yeah. where I'm from in the Midlands, there's a place called Mount St. Bernard's Abbey, and it's a Cistercian community, is it a strict order? So there, they all took a vow of silence. They make beer and honey and sell it, and you can go there, and it's just the most, it has an almost otherworldly kind of magical uh, quiet to it. You can go there and read your book, buy some honey, and just enjoy the grounds. I feel a bit envious of, envious of them sometimes, to be honest. Mm. Well, I think that's going to be one of the things that we're going to have to learn to do well um, is um, is to be able to offer to society places and encounters and, and networks, communities, which may look weird, but actually are places of, of, uh, of solace, uh, places of renewal, uh, communities which are of, offer spiritual encouragement, uh, they're probably increasingly going to look nuts. Uh, and I suppose part of the, 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 the real difficulty for, for, for these churches is going to be actually you know, ensuring that they don't become sectarian cults. Mm. They have to be um, places where, yes, there is this intense renewal there's this big investment in, in the Christian faith, more so than perhaps has been before. 
but 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 also those communities are porous you know the, that that people can um come in and and see and understand what is what is happening and grow for and grow from that that's that's going to take a i think a considerable amount of of wisdom because the charge will be you know oh there's this funny bunch doing yeah, this strange yeah. weird stuff uh i mean the, the patterns are already beginning you, you can see that I, I think really nobody under 40 is going to a church that isn't a bit um otherworldly and weird uh you know, there is a, a resurgence in um, for instance, the 1662 prayer book, um, particularly in millennials and, and younger, right. uh, because the, that Cranerian language really asks something of you. Uh, it, asks, it asks you to put aside the devices and desires of your own heart. Uh, it, it asks you to give it the time that it deserves. Um, yeah, and... and uh, and there are, I, I suppose there's a great renewal, certainly in the Pentecostal movement, in the charismatic churches, uh, within Roman Catholicism. Uh, the, the, the whole Latin mass thing has, has really seemed to have gripped uh, a much younger generation in a way that you don't, I'd have never imagined happen, mm. happening, say, 30 years ago. Um, so you know, Christianity, I think, will, will look increasingly different. And maybe that can be part of of its uh, its appeal and its unique selling point, and why and why not? And I think we um, we should do well as you know as shepherds of of the church to to go with that actually and sit uh, and not be afraid not be afraid of that. Um, my my own sort of personal encounters with people, particularly. Um, that the generations coming up is um, they really rather relish that actually and find that mm. find that you know exciting uh, and interest and interesting. Who yeah who wants to just follow a, a bland, undemanding version of Christianity that is decaf and just gives you you know a series of um, uh, of woke tropes? I mean it's Tom Holland the historian didn't it who said that that the Church of England needs to stop being the the Liberal Democratic Party conference at prayer, you know, at least with the Liberal Democrats, for the greatest respect, you don't have to go on at church on a Sunday morning. You can just go to conference and party meetings. Um, but um, we, we need to we need to do something different, I think, now and take a different approach and and be courageous. And I think we'll be surprised uh, at the response. We're looking at Eastern European countries, especially those that came from the post-Soviet era. Christianity is on the rise there. I wonder what your thoughts are on, on why that is. I don't know if there's some credence to this idea that hardship pushes people towards faith, maybe. No. Well, if you've had to suffer for it, then you understand the value of it. Mm. Uh, I have a number of friends who grew up during that period whose... Um, Families stuck to uh, Christian worship uh, and did so at great cost. One of my friends, his father, who was, a, who was an academic, a um, philosopher, laughed when a member of the Communist Party uh, at a meetup of the party. This is like 1946 in Czechoslovakia. The 
party would come into the universities and say, this is, this is the new script. And in this uh, talk, the guy got incredibly excited and started to say that um, in the future, the Communist Party will be able to direct even the weather. Well, my friend's father laughed at this point. And of course, that brought attention on him. Next day, he and colleagues lost their jobs, right. worked in a factory for the rest of his life. Uh, his brothers um, became um, clergy in the underground church. Uh, and, you know, he and others were um, lambasted, for their lambasted for their faith, you know. Uh, but something shone from... Uh, their home and others, you know, people who did keep the Christian faith, that their neighbours knew that here was a place of compassion. Here were people who were willing to walk the extra mile. Here were people who, when things uh, went crazy, you could you could go to and get consolation and practical help. Uh, and the party could never take that could never take that away. Mm. So. Hopefully, they're still working through that legacy. They've got something to to um, to fall back to fall back on, to understand and to cherish. I mean, Rod Dreher, in his book *Live Not by Lies*, talks about Father Tomislav Kolakovic, who um, uh, I think, if I remember rightly, from Croatia, when the Nazis left, warned the official church the communists are coming. I've studied them. I've lived in the Soviet, Soviet Russia. I know what this is going to be like. And um, they all laughed it off. It was alarmist. And within a year or so, communists sweep in and the official church is essentially neutered. Yeah. And this went throughout uh, Eastern Europe. Kolakovich was very clever as a, um, an, a sort of entrepreneurial catechist. He, he went from place to place founding these small um, house groups they could be catholic evangelical whatever uh and, and it i think it emerged that when the when the berlin wall came down that the natural leaders came at were the people in these communities mm. i think there were several hundred of, of, of them it's an extraordinary unknown stories it's surprising that rome has never actually canonized canonized him but i think you know what we can get from him is a Certainly an understanding that if you come out saying this, you will be treated by you know, the, the official uh, organs of the church most likely as you know, some sort of alarmist heretic, uh, nut job. Um, but I think Kolakovich tells us to don't worry about that, ignore it, plough on. Looking at countries where Christianity is not necessarily the, the main religion, Israel, Middle Eastern countries, etc., they also seem to be doing a lot better in, in keeping their faiths and also their, their roots and their traditions, etc., than we are in the West. Uh, well, why do you think that is? Uh, life is too easy here and we yeah, don't really value yeah. things. We, we've, you know, man, man has become sort of a psychological creature in, in the West. Uh, and... Um, we live in this kind of Freudian pit of 
uh, it's all about me, which I, I think must be really the subtitle for pretty much everything in the charts at the moment. Uh, and um, I, I think that's, that's a very hard place to, uh, to be spiritual from. Uh, whereas I think those other places that you've mentioned are, are more naturally geared to being centres of spiritual life. You know, they have they have they have history, they have history uh, and pedigree, uh, and we do too. But we've spent the last I think two three hundred years unpicking that slowly from the uh, in, enlightenment and some of the darker aspects of the industrial revolutions that we've had. Uh, that um, we we have become this sort of inward looking creature uh, and I think now to become a Christian really requires in, in catechesis I think considerable deprogramming from that to to turn someone around to say life is not all about me and my fulfilment yeah. uh, and do you know what I think you could go to many school assemblies and find a, a sort of pastiche version of that which is essentially selling that you know you can be anything you want to be. Fine. But, you know, there's a way of doing that and sadly ignoring the whole idea that you're also part of this incredible civilization, mm. and you have a duty towards that civilization, uh, And what is being passed to you is, you know, hundreds of years of wisdom and expertise uh, uh, and primarily uh, the, you know, the Christian heritage. Uh, it, it's easy to edit all that out and say, yeah, it's just all about your career and mm. you can be anything you want. Well, that might not actually be the gospel that people need to hear. Um, what if the gospel, what if the good news is actually much more complicated and subtle? And we've had it all the time, but we've just decided to um, give this again, use the word marvelization of history. Mm. Uh, and um, I think those other countries are less adverse to that. Um, we are um, uh, we are increasingly becoming more allergic to the spiritual. Uh, I'm I'm told that there's some there's some facts, there's some data to show that not only have we become a less Christian society, but but some of the other religious movements, say like the mind body spirit New Age movement. Yeah. Uh, is is now getting less traction because the, the new age thing's expensive, you know that it uh, crystals cost money. Yeah, it it it's a bourgeois um, lifestyle, um, uh, whereas just you know looking at your phone for eight hours a day on TikTok, mm. that's that's easy. You know that that's that's instant dopamine rush. Ha how do you reach out to generations upcoming uh, with the idea of faith, of heritage, of um, patriotism in, in, in all the best sense of the word, um, a, a love for your own history? If, um, if the culture has allowed us to just wallow in this sort of psychological pit it's very very hard i mean that certainly we know that in the first couple of centuries the christians had to work really hard to depaganize 
um, in individuals from mm. that that sense that you know my life is really not that in, my life is just I'm just a plaything of the gods, uh, and the, and my fate um, is of of little importance unless I can get dominion or uh, domination over someone else. You know, uh, some in the pecking order. Um, I think it's very difficult to, as it was then, to uh, turn someone into a good Christian from from that. Just like it is in a way. Similarly now, um, and again, we're not having that theological conversation. Mm. We're having theological conversations that are um, easy, you know, we're having debates about identity, politics, climate change, whatever. We're not really, I think the danger is we've lost track of being doctors of the soul. Just when, at the moment, when society needs it most so throughout the centuries religions have required certain moral standards of people i mean obviously the very religious people mm. followed them but even the people who weren't very religious they still had this basic mm. level of morals they had to stick to um, but now we're kind of reaching this post-religious age where people are moving away from it or religions are teaching these new orthodoxies environmentalism or whatever mm. and we get this world where anything goes mm. What can we do to, to bring morality back to this kind of post-religious society? This is a very difficult question, I think, and, and this is one that um, goes around, I think, round and round in the heads of many of us. Uh, and um, But I, I, I had this conversation with someone this morning about pretty much around, around that. How fatalistic should we be uh, about where we're going? Should we just, uh, as people of faith to say, well, let's just watch the whole thing crash. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe that's what it needs to do, that there's going to be this great deluge that will come in and wash everything away, you know, uh, on the back of um, uh, hyperinflation, woke ideology, AI, nukes, the whole, you know, we're just gonna, we're go we're going off the cliff edge and um, uh, well, we'd just have to batten down the hatches. I've got a certain sympathy for saying, you know, well, perhaps this is the time for being arc builders mm. and maybe it'll be small communities in a couple generations coming out of exile that will build uh, the better version of, of this. Um, but I think also... There's a, there's, a, there's a part of me, and you, you see this is a conflict in me in here, because if you, if you take from the third chapter of St. John, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that the Christian church has an inbuilt compassion for the world. Uh, and we know that the word, the Greek word for world is cosmos, which means, really translates as the system. God so loved the system, the culture, that he gave, gives his only son that he reorders the whole of society around Christ, the cross, the resurrection, the Gospels. Uh, and I, I think I, in the end, even if everything is going down, we still have to be, I think, you know, compassionate, generous people living in the midst of it. Uh, it I think it was St Cypriot who commented that 
when the plagues came in Rome, the Christians stayed, buried not only their own dead, but that of strangers, yea, even adversaries. Whereas the gentrified ran to the hills. And I think we're going to have to do a lot of thinking about how we get that we get that right. Yes, arc building, but also I think we have to be prepared to to be with people in in what could be you know, a, a time of um, very difficult change. Mm. So no, however difficult it gets out there, we need to be good ourselves. Good, good in ourselves and generous enough to actually say, I'm going to stay with it. I think Paul Kingsnorth, the writer, uh, says this about that there are, uh, um, we have to be, uh, I think the Chinese have this expression, he said that cooked and raw barbarians, the raw barbarians are the ones on the outskirts of, of national life. Um, like it was thought of the Uyghurs and the mm. Tibetans uh, and the cooked barbarians are those in a sense in the middle of things but still carry a very distinctive um, lifestyle which clearly winds up the Chinese Communist Party um, and um, perhaps we have to have both have both of those um, now Daniel French thank you for joining us on British Thought Leaders it's been a pleasure thank you Lee Thank you.